welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. This is the sixth part of the series, Follow, and I'm going to do it and give it my best as I can. It's been a good series. I have enjoyed it. As I've pursued this progression of thought. And there's a sense in which today I shall pick up somewhere from where Tony left last Sunday. Talking, probably highlighting the aspect of the Lordship, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's important to us to understand that. For every uh, family that's here, You've just traveled through the McDonald's driveway or you've been to their counter or HJ's or wherever it is and you've uh, bought your child or children a 30 cent ice cream each. But you, of course, have helped yourself at HJ's right now, a large sundae for $2, (laughs) strawberry or caramel, Or maybe chocolate. And you're about to spoon into your Sunday, and this little face looks up to you with ice cream now starting to run down the cone and drip. They say, I want what you got. And today's message for us is a walk through exploring what it is for us to want what God wants for us and not what I want for myself. If we hear this message, it will challenge us. In fact, you don't get through preparing a message like this without personally being challenged. And you come to realize that some of the things that used to challenge me as a young man are now nothing. But in their places have come other challenges. And that's important for every one of us to realize that this lesson, this word, is applicable to us all the way across our lives. There are none of us who are removed from it or exempt from it. And until I finally hand in my ticket and I become absent from this body and present with the Lord, the opportunity to want what He wants and not what I want will exist every moment of my existence. You can't do it for me and I cannot do it for you. I won't be judged for how you do it, and you won't be judged for how I do it. But I will stand before the Lord one day, and the only words I really want to hear are well done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's all I want to hear. That's all I want to hear. 
Because when we arrive in God's heaven, whatever you think of it, however you think of it, whatever way you try to describe it, whatever you anticipate being there, is nothing, cannot be compared with what will actually be there. Because we have an infinite God who lives in the infinitely best. And we are coming from so much less. When I was a teenager, late teenager, maybe even early 20s, I had a panel van. You mightn't look at it now because I've gone to seed a bit, but I used to be mean, taut, and terrific. I used to cut a good figure. I had a series of surfboards, and my best surfboard was one about six foot six long with a bird spread eagled across the underside of it. It was a great little board. I could carve up waves, and I'm not going to boast too much, but I've surfed the bottom of York's Peninsula, Pondalawi Bay, in 20-foot waves. I've surfed Bells Beach, Australia which is not a bad thing. In fact, I was out there one day when, 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 Wayne, when Wayne Lynch, the junior champion, was surfing. We surfed together on the same wave. So, I, you know, I, I have been there and I've done a bit of it. <laughs> and I came home from surfing and God had been on my case as a young man. I was sitting initially out on the surfboard, I was watching the cliffs there at the river mouth at Onkaparinga, and there was about a five foot swell running, it was just nice, just really nice, fun. And, and the waves coming in and the surfboard was great and I was really enjoying it. And God said, you know, you know I made the waves, don't you? Yeah? You know I put the properties in the earth so that one day, man would have the joy of discovering fiberglass. You understand that, don't you, Paul? Yeah. If I'd given you an earth and said, this is what you can do, make some tides, he said, he said would have you done that or would have you just had a flat mill pond? Would have you gotten a moon involved to give you tides and, and, and to wind to set up waves? And, uh, well, probably not. And I, yet I've done it for you. Really? You see, he was buttering me up because he was after something else. <laughs> and I had a great session out there. I came home stoked. As I got into the driveway, the Lord said, but what are you going to do? Well, I'm gonna drive in the driveway and put my surfboard away and go and have some tea. That's what I was gonna do. No, he said, what are you going to do with the issues of your hearts? Do you want what I want more than what you want? Was the question he was posing to me. Are you, going to, are you prepared to yield it up? Are you prepared to give it up and take on what I have and what I want for you? Well, that was a bit of a shocking question, I tell you. I stood beside my my car, it was a panel van. I undid the ropes carefully, had towel wrapped around the bars so you didn't mark your board. I grabbed the board by the rails, I picked it up above my head and in frustration, in desperateness, in 
a reality of the moment. I threw the board like that. I said, there you are, Lord. If you want it, you can have it. And when you do that, the board sort of cascades in the air and circles and falls on the floor. On the grass, it was. I put my head against the side of the car. What have I just done? They're not cheap. They break easy. They ding, and I don't want to ding it. Besides, I, I love my bird. On the bottom. As I began to walk around, as I cried out, Lord, if you want my board, you can have it. As I began to walk around the back of the car to see what damage I'd done to my board, it was like the, the Lord spoke these words to me. He says, I don't want your board. I just want your heart. That's all he wanted. I want you to want what I want and not what you want. The best value for your life is to want what I want and put aside what you want. I know the best for your life and I can lead you in it and show it to you. If you will want what I want, then I will make sure that all your wants are done. Have you heard that before? Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And all these things, whatever the these are, all these things will be added to you. Don't have to have them first. So I'm going to take some time. We all begin as consumers in this life. And uh, we, just, we just want to take things. Man, even to hang around with a bunch of Christians makes you look better, makes your behavior better. It means it's a better lifestyle. It's a better thing to have happen. But because we initially start off as takers and not givers, we are consumers. We consume the Christian society. We consume what God is doing around about us. And we need to move from being consumers. And we will do so through a number of of decision-defining points. There will be things that happen in our lives that will be watershed points for us. The throwing of the surfboard for me was one. The coming around a corner at... Sorry, darling. Oh, I'm in trouble now. Coming around the corner at 130 or 40 k's plus on a motorbike, having a race with another motorbike, was a, design, was a defining moment. God spoke to me and said, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> As I came through the corner and hit some mud on the road and the bike jumped sideways, he said, you're being an idiot. But you know, I couldn't argue. When that bike jumped sideways, I could not argue that I was being an idiot. He said, you know, in three months, you're going to be a dad, don't you? Yes, I do. Instead of wanting to be out there to live up my juvenileness, my stupid years, my young adult years, my flamboyance, I needed to find some common sense. 
I needed to become real. There are defining decision points where God will speak to you. And we move from being just left alone. God cares too much about you to leave you alone. He's looked for you. He's sought you out. Yeah, I see them. Jesus left the, told the parable of leaving the 99 safe so that he could come and find the one that was lost. And that's what he did for you. And that demands a response from me. And the response will need to be, I want to want him and his things more than I want my own. We're going to do a bit of a lesson and learn from some others. See if we can understand this a bit deeper. I want to use Peter initially and then Judas as our examples. Peter was a disciple, one of the inner three. He had a revelation. We heard about that last week. It was a great revelation, a real eye-opening moment of truth. But within a few seconds, because because sometimes this physical frame finds it hard to contain revelation, he's saying something that's now way offline. And Jesus turns around and rebukes him. He rebukes the, the enemy being able to take hold of Peter's words and use Peter's words against him to undermine his mission, to undermine his purpose, to undermine his direction, to undermine the strength of his commitment. He rebukes the enemy. He's, he is rebu- rebuking Peter, but he's, he's really rebuking the words and then the overriding spiritual influence that's on those words. We have to watch our words, but hey, that's another message for another time. And so he had still had this problem, dear Pete. And in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 27, so then Peter said to him, Behold, we've left everything and followed you. And the last part of the verse says this, What then will there be for us? We've left everything and followed you. What are we going to get? Peter, Jesus speaking, I want you to want my things more than you want your own things. You are going to be challenged. Not one of you are going to get away from this unless you fold your arms and walk away. You will be challenged at some point to forget that line, what then will there be for me? Because you will find the place of success, the place of greatness, the place of walking with God is I want, Lord, what you want, not what I want. At the arrest in the garden, after Pete comes and takes the ear off of the servant of the, of the high priest, all the, all the disciples run. Ah, frightened, intimidated, scared, whatever. They run. You still, they, they see they, they are not really committed. They are still consumers of this Christian life. And so they take off and disappear. In essence, they unfollow Jesus. They unhook themselves from this thing that Jesus has drawn them into. And I think, oh, the, the cost is too great. Let me get away from here.
But within about 43 days, they were all back. On the day of ascension, they were all there. They were all there. Something had happened. Something had changed in each one of their lives. And you can read that, what happened for each, each different disciple, so some of the things that happened in their lives. But let's, let's go on. What had they wanted? What were they looking for? They had expected a Messiah. They had expected the Christ to become the King of Israel, like David was, only better, only stronger, only greater, to restore the place of their nation in the world and to bring with it great wealth and position. Now, that's a very tasty bit. If that's what you're thinking is, that's a very tasty bait. That's a very tasty uh, piece to pursue after. Now, he was going to bring in a new kingdom, but it wasn't going to happen the way that they were thought. So let's trace Judas together for a little while and see if we can find out what's actually happening to him. Judas was a disciple, a close disciple. He was there, part of it. He was privy to the private talks, the uh, rebuking talks, the stern talks, the good talks. He was there. He saw the miracles that occurred. He was hanging about. Jesus desperately wanted for Jesus to be the deliverer. To this point, we, we can't really find a problem. But the, but the difficulty comes that, Jesus, that, that Judas wanted Jesus to be a deliverer, but Judas brought his own agenda. You ever brought your agenda to something? That's a very delicate question, isn't it? He thought that Jesus was taking things too slow, spending time with the wrong people. He thought, man, alive with your popularity, Jesus, you could be making lots of money and we need the money. We need the money because if we're going to rise up and put a new nation in place, we need the money in order to, uh, well, I guess, get the army together and, you know, give the army swords and we need, we need the money. Besides, Judas had his own special interest in that. He said, Jesus, he says, you, hate the Ro you don't hate the Romans enough. Why? The other week you even helped the centurion. That wasn't politically correct. And, and when these Pharisees and Sadducees come around, he says, why are you always putting them on the spot? Why do you think it's your right to make them live up honestly to what they say they believe? He said, it's not the way. When we inaugurate this new kingdom, we're going to need the support from the temple. We will want their endorsement in what we're doing when we kick the Romans out and we take over. It sounds like he had a real agenda. My question to us is how? How or what is our agenda? And then worse than that, when we get an agenda, well, then we try and get God to fulfill our agenda. I had a guy once who had this, uh, had this carpet business. And it wasn't going too good. And one day he came to church and, wow, there was this huge check came through the church offering huge check in those days, perhaps not so much these days, but a huge check in those days. And I thought, oh, praise God. But you know, I knew there was something wrong with it. You know, I just knew there was something not quite right. Anyway, we wrote the thing out and Julie in the processes of the, 
of the church's business. We banked the money. On the Tuesday night, this gentleman came around to me and he said, uh, um, I put a check in on Sunday. Yes, you did. He said, um, I did that so that God would answer all my questions and pay all my bills. And it hasn't happened. Now you're laughing. Some, some of you are laughing, aren't you? Some of you are laughing. You see, when you get your own agenda in vogue or in the foremost part of your mind, you do dumb things, dumb enough to make some of you laugh at that. But he was desperately serious. And if I'd had the check in my possession, I would have given it back to him because God doesn't want your blood money or your payment money or your arm twisting money. What God asks for is what comes out of the bounty of your heart. That's what's born out of faith. That's what God asks for. I mean, if God wanted to, he could just roll the heavenly printing presses and he could print more, Ameri more money than the Americans could ever want. But he won't. What's your agenda? I tell you this, when we are, well, whilst we are a consumer and we have our own agendas, we will come into conflict with the will of God. At that young age, surfboarding was one of my agendas, one of my interests, one of my wants. Somewhere in the 20s, whoa, look at that. Man, if I had a better set of clubs, I could hit it much further. Now, I'm not picking on golfers especially, but their game is such a, such a wonderful game to pick on. What a fruitile game, beating a little white ball. It, oh, sorry, I wasn't going to pick on it. Sorry about that. But then there's shopping, not to leave the other gender, agenda aside. Man, I go to the shops. Gay leaves me. She says, I'll be back in an hour. Good. I've got an hour in Dick Smith's. Wonderful. I'm thrilled. Those two issues aside, put in there whatever issue it is that grabs your attention. I'm not blaming women for going shopping. God knows you need to do that. I'm not blaming people for playing a bit of golf because you need the practice and the walk and the walking might even hurt me. But the thing is, is it what you want or is it what God wants? Is it taking the place of what you could be doing for God? Please, someone don't, don't, don't turn me off now and say, oh, I'll be a, I'll be a total, um, I'll be a totally used Christian. No, I want to tell you this. God will never overuse you. He will never overuse you. He knows. When he built you, he said, you can work for six days, but at least rest on the seventh. He set that law in, he set the law in motion. You didn't think of it. He knows that you need a break. Let's keep marching on here. So this thing begins. In Matthew 26, verses 6 and 7, it says, Now when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, 
A woman came to him with an alabaster veil of very costly perfume, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. Now, we're not sure. Maybe this was the one leper who returned out of the ten to say thanks. We don't know. He's obviously been healed because he's in his home. Lepers were put in a colony or a bunch of caves somewhere away from everyone else because they didn't know how to deal with this debilitating, flesh-eating, depreciating disease that the depreciating disease that gotten hold of people's lives. They didn't know how to handle it, so they'd push people away. He's obviously been healed and he's still in the home. Watch, how would you like to be called that? Hello, Simon the leper. <laughs> Hello, Simon. It doesn't matter how you say it, it doesn't sound leper. <laughs> Just doesn't sound good. Hello, Paul Benithan, PB, because you're a playboy. What's your name? What is your name? I am Drew, son of God. That's my name. I'm Sam, daughter of God. I'm Wendy, daughter of God. Not Simon or Simone the leper. Anyway, I digress, sorry. <laughs> the woman came and she poured out this costly oil. She makes a hugely bold gesture. It's actually a step of faith because something in her spirit has told her that this man needs the anointing for burial over his life. And so she comes and makes this preparation for his death. Matthew 26, 8 and 9 says, But when the disciples were indignant when they saw this, and they said, Why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. I want to tell you what, even God got upset with that answer. Now lying, he would say. Faith at great expense to this woman had recognised who Christ was and she came and anointed him for what was yet to be without any reasoning, without any argument, without any uh, Bible college education. She came out of faith in her heart and anointed Jesus. In fact, I'll go so far as to say, I would see the revelation of her magnitude is about the same as Peter's magnitude. We applaud Peter for saying, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. But we forget that a woman without the closeness to Jesus and the teaching of Jesus by faith receives understanding that he's gonna die and he needs to be anointed. And she provides that out of her own hand. John's gospel throws a bit more light. John chapter 4, John chapter 12 and verse 4 says, But Judas Iscariot, see, it wasn't all the disciples, it was one with a real private agenda. Judas Iscariot says, 
He says, knowing that he's uh, going to be the one, or coming to the point of betraying him, why wasn't this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? It's worth about a year's wages. That's a fair gift to make. I don't think we've made one like that. We've never given anyone that's got married a gift that costly, have we? Done? No. Verses 6 and 7 of John 12, he says, Now he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief and had, he had hold of the money box and he used to pilfer what was coming into it. You see, he had an agenda. He was wanting something, but he wanted something that wasn't what God wanted and the way God wanted it to come to pass. So he was struggling. Now we go back to Matthew 26 and it says, But Jesus aware of them. Oh, dear Lord, help me. Jesus is aware. How many, think they can, how many of you think you can hide from God? Is there anyone here game enough to put your hand up? Do you believe in Father Christmas? This is worse than that. Do you think you can hide from God? Father Christmas is not, sorry, punched off, picked a few pins there, uh, balloons there. You cannot hide from God. You can be in the same crowded room and have a thought and he knows what you are thinking. You're here this morning <laughs> and you're sitting back there on the edge of darkness, way back there. He knows what you're thinking. doesn't matter if I can't see your face. I, I'm just a messenger delivering a message. I'm relying upon the Holy Spirit to take from this message and put in your heart what it is that he's interested in you hearing and knowing. I'm not, interested in, I'm not interested in proving my prowess. I'm not interested in proving anything. Why, I'm retired. <laughs> I have no axe to grind. I've had a good life. I've had a great life. I thank God for what I've gone through and what we've been through together. I thank God for a great wife. I don't have an axe to grind. I'm not here trying to make it difficult for some. If you're squirming, I'm not making you squirm. But the Word of God is. And I'm sorry if I'm shouting. I'm just getting a little bit excited. I'm just sorry about that. Jesus said, this woman's done a good deed for me. The poor you have with her always. And in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 13, it says, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of as a memory of, of her. There's, there's, there's a woman who existed 2,000, almost 2,000 years ago. You don't know her name. I don't know her name. But we remember her today because one Jesus said we would. So right now, sitting down here, you are fulfilling prophecy. You are fulfilling Bible prophecy right now. Forget the number on the head and the man of sin. Sitting here remembering this woman who anointed Jesus' body for burial is fulfilling Bible prophecy spoken by Jesus himself. Sorry, I shouldn't have made that crack about number on your head. That might be a bit offensive. I can help you with that later on. If you have a problem with it, God thought of that first. Read Deuteronomy chapter 6. Okay, 
So verse, chapter 26 of Matthew, verses 14 to 15 says, Then one of the sons named Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest. It's immediately after this interaction with this woman coming and anointing Jesus, Judas goes out. He's on such an agenda in his life, he's now blinded to what's happening about. Nothing is going to touch him or persuade him. He's going down a pathway that he really has no understanding where it's going to lead him. He goes to the chief priest and verse 15 says, what will you give me to betray, to betray him? And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver for, to him. And then from that time, he began to look for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. Oh man, don't you just love this? Because of his own private agenda, Judas embarks on a seemingly incredible course of action. In, Jews, in Judah's understanding, he wants money to finance the uprising and go in his back pocket. He wants Jesus to be cornered into a position so that he will come out fighting and come out and declare that he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's wanting Jesus to be put in a position where he'll call upon the legions of angels, where he will supernaturally wipe out the enemy. Judas' position is almost believable if he, hadn't, if, he, if he hadn't listened to Jesus' words with so much presupposition. Can I, can I just, can I ask of you, when you come to the Word of God, don't bring your 20th century glasses to it. Don't bring your rose-colored glasses to it. Don't bring the filter screen to it. Come to it and say, God, speak to me today through your Word. Let the Word speak to your heart. Don't filter it. Don't color it. Don't, uh, don't displace it. Don't set it on an angle or augment it towards yourself. Read the words beyond what you've already got either underlined in red or done with your own pencil or printed in red in your Bible. Read the word, let it speak to your heart. Wow. Reality checkpoint. He thinks he can hand him over. Jesus, who caused blind eyes to see, opened ears, healed people, lepers cleansed, walked through an angry crowd, increased the food, stilled the, form, stilled the storm. He thinks, he, Judas, thinks he can hand him over. Give me a break. God is not our hip pocket God. He's not on a string that we can pull him or a chain that we can yank at any time. We cannot manipulate him to our own benefit. The truth is, God's hand cannot be forced and his will cannot be thwarted. God's hand cannot be manipulated. You cannot manipulate it. And you cannot twist or buy or bargain his will to do what you want to do. You better quickly arrive at this decision. I want what you want, Lord, not what I want. In that moment of conflict, you learn so much about yourself. You'll move from being 
a consumer to a, uh, from being a consumer to a follower. Judas' master plan now has us all its wheels fall off. Matthew chapter 27 says that the Jewish leadership couldn't put Jesus to death. They, had a, they tried him without a trial. They said, we want him executed. They couldn't do it. They passed him over to Roman justice. And suddenly Judas' plan had gone wrong. That, he hadn't calculated that. He misunderstood that. And in verse 3 of chapter 27, the burden of finding out that he had got it wrong was too great. He threw the money back into the temple and he went out and hanged himself. As I come to a close, Judas actually becomes a part in our salvation. What Judas meant for wrong, actually God uses for good. Was it the centurion that held Jesus on the cross? No. Was it the nails? No. Was it the religious leaders? No. Was it the gawking and staring and wonderment of the crowd? No. Was it the wooden cross? No. Was it the satanic powers that were arrayed there against him? Was it? No. What held Jesus on the cross was God's love for you and for me. What put him on the cross was not some man's plan, but it was God's plan. And we struggle with that, even at this moment. So I want what you want. This is the Lordship test. I want what you want, more than what I want myself. Want for myself. I want, Lord, what you want. God never wanted my surfboard. He just wanted to be number one in my heart. It may be a bit hard for you to say, Lord, I want what you want. Here's a prayer to help you out. Heavenly Father, I want to want what you want and not what I want. If this message has seemed a bit tough to you, if the Holy Spirit is working on your heart right now, and you say, I can't measure up, I can't reach to it, it seems so great, then cry out this prayer and ask for mercy from God. Lord, I want to want what you want. And you'll begin a process. You'll begin something that's happening the right direction in your life. God won't stop us in what we're doing. He'll warn us. But remember, things can be forgiven, but not always able to be undone. Neither, Jews, uh, neither Jesus or Judas were able or tried to stop each other. But God's will was always accomplished. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.